Well, we're back in the Psalms again today. I started a series um, several weeks ago now, and uh, I haven't been up here for a few weeks, so uh, we're back in the Psalms again. And we've been looking at the various categories of Psalms, and so we'll um, look at that and consider that in just a moment. But before we do, let's uh, pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you that we can be here this morning again, and uh, Lord, in the busyness of life to come aside and to just reflect upon what you want for us and thank you for the lessons of history thank you for what we learn through your word and lord pray that you'll teach us and encourage us and challenge us in our own lives today as we consider this particular psalm and pray that you will speak to to us through it we ask in your name amen so as we have been uh, looking at the Psalms, we've been seeing how full of help they are and they give us hope and encouragement, um, challenge us, comfort us, teach us, instruct us, and they are a, a blessing for us and how we can learn through the Psalms and what um, has been happened in the past, in history, and what's uh, things that are spoken of about the future and lots of different things and personal reflections by some of the psalmists, many things that we can learn through them. Early on in the piece, we looked at how these psalms were divided into five different books and um, how those books have separations between them. But uh, we are looking more particularly at uh, the categories of psalms. And I was hoping we might have some something in there which I forgot to put in, which was the uh, description of the categories. Of the Psalms. So we've been looking at uh, creation psalms, um, salvation history psalms, we're going to be looking at penitential psalms, uh, teaching psalms, innocence psalms, praise psalms, imprecatory psalms, and messianic psalms. So various categories that the psalms have often been put into which uh, align several psalms in, in one particular category and uh, what the significance of that is. And so we are working our way through those categories I just mentioned. So we looked at some of the creation psalms, we did two of those, and we last time I was up here we uh, considered Psalm 136, uh, that God's love endures forever, uh, a great psalm which just keeps repetitively reminding us of how great God's love is towards us. And uh, these psalm, well the psalm today is Psalm 78, and uh, these two psalms, 136 and 78, uh, what we call salvation history psalms. And salvation history psalms emphasise God's acts of deliverance on behalf of the nation of Israel that he's uh, relating to, how he's saved them out of great trial and potential destruction, uh, particularly in relation to the exodus out of Egypt where they were under oppression and slavery and brought them to, uh, through that journey to the promised land. And Salvation History Psalms are, are reminders for the people to remember and to recall what God has done and to rehearse the things that God has done. So bring them to their minds, share them together, talk about them, of all the things that God has done in the past for them as a nation and even for them as individuals. And it's great lessons in that for us to learn of how we can look at the past and see what God has done. And because God remains the same yesterday, today and forever, means that we can trust him 
for the future because they reflect something of the character of God and uh, remind us to look beyond just the events uh, to the character of God and what he is doing. And also gives us an insight into uh, humanity and what the human heart is like too. Which, and this particular psalm, Psalm 78, uh, Salvation History Psalm, uh, I've entitled The Goodness and Severity of God because um, it talks about God's goodness towards his people and how often they reject it, and yet God um, does bring his discipline upon them to bring them back to himself, and then how often they keep turning away from him. Uh, Psalm, uh, Romans 11.22 is actually a verse which says, Therefore consider the goodness and the severity of God. And So that's where I was just coming from in that title here this morning. The early uh, verses of Psalm 78 explain what our salvation history psalm is all about. Uh, to remember what God has done and then to pass it on to the next generation so that they will learn from their, from their fathers, forefathers and so on, not to repeat the mistakes and sins that they had committed. So let's just read. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Psalm 78 and we'll look, be looking at several verses here. It's a long psalm. Uh, we're not going to go through all of it. But we'll just uh, pick out parts of it. So he starts off by saying, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. And so he's saying, pass on the things that God has done to the next generation. Tell your children and grandchildren what God has done so that they might understand the good things of the Lord and uh, respond to them. Um, as we look at things in the Old Testament, it's a good reminder to think about what Paul said to um, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And verses uh, 5 to 7, and then on to verse 11. As he's been talking about what God did through Moses, he says, But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. And so he says, these things became our examples, um, lessons that we can learn from in our time. Verse 11 and 12, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. And so the things that we read about in the Old Testament are there, to teach us to learn from in our own spiritual lives, in our own walk with God. And so the first part of this psalm, he talks about the, the wilderness wanderings, verses 9 through to 39. And the wilderness or the desert uh, was a journey that was the means to get the people out of Egypt and to the land that God had promised. It was called Canaan back then. 
and the land that they were going to that God had promised Abraham that would be for his descendants. But God had to get the people out of Egypt and then he had to get Egypt out of the people because once they got out of Egypt, the slavery, the oppression that they were under and they got on the the road on the wilderness, all of a sudden Egypt began to look attractive again and they hankered after going back to Egypt. And so part of that wilderness journey that they went on was to allow God to get the Egypt out of them and get them prepared for the land that he had promised them. And looking at this journey of these Israelite people, we see both the discipline and the judgment of God, the severity of God as it were, but we also see his grace and his mercy upon his people. We see the goodness of God. And on this journey from Egypt to the promised land, there was clearly a big problem. There was a very pronounced attitude problem. They had an attitude that was severely lacking in gratitude. They also had an obedience problem. They continually disobeyed what God had instructed them to do. That which would provide them with joy and purpose and protection. And you'd think that they would respond favourably towards that, but no, they continued to choose the route of disobedience and rebellion against God. Listen to what it says in verses 9 to 11. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Disobedience always leads to heartache, leads to hardship, uh, leads to pain in our lives when we choose to walk our own path. I wonder whether you've ever realised that in your own life, when we walk our own way instead of God's way. Then from verses 12 to 16, he describes many amazing things that God did for his people. He says he brought them out of the land of Egypt. He divided the the Red Sea. He caused them to pass through. He made the waters stand up like a heap so that they could walk on dry land. He led them by cloud in the daytime and by fire at nighttime. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rocks and caused waters to run down like rivers. This was a pretty amazing scenes that we see of what God was doing. He was providing for them. He did this amazing thing to separate the Red Sea so they could walk on dry land. He, he then enabled them to get water out of the rocks so that they could water to drink. And as we see that he provides food for them as well. How did they respond to this blessing of God, this goodness of God? Well, they just sinned more. They rebelled more. And they tested God more. As verse 17 says, But they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. And they tested God in their heart. And so they didn't respond well to God's goodness. How do we respond to God's goodness? Are we always thankful? Do we always have an attitude of gratitude? 
Well, it certainly wasn't the case for these people as they wandered through the wilderness. Then they began to seek after some fancy food. One of the issues they had was food and sustenance. That was obviously going to be a need for them as they went through this journey through this desert. But God was going to provide for them. But they had the question, what would they eat? What would they drink on this long, dry, dusty trip through the desert? A trip, mind you, of their own making because they refused to believe Joshua and Caleb's assessment of the land when the spies went in and the fact that God was capable of dealing with their enemies as Joshua and Caleb had explained to them. But what could have been an 11-day trip turned into 40 years. But God and his graciousness provided for this vast group of people with food. Manna from heaven, as you know the story. Um, God provided this food that just came out of the sky, a continual supply. Initially they were grateful, but then their thankfulness soon faded. Their gratitude turned to grumbling fairly quickly. And then they put in their requests to God for their fancy food. Notice what verses 18 to 20 says. And they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Or depending on your translation, might say the food of their craving. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? These are some of the questions that they were asking. They wanted their food of fancy. They wanted their pavlovas with strawberries. They wanted their passion fruit cheesecakes. They wanted their pancakes with maple syrup. But there is a practical lesson here. Be thankful for the food that you have. Young people, be thankful for the food that mum or dad puts on the table for you. Don't complain. Many in our world don't have hardly any food. None at all sometimes. Very little on other occasions to go on their table. So be thankful for the blessing of food that we have. I remember an occasion in our life where Maggie and Callum were going overseas back to Ireland to visit family over there and um, they were away for about four weeks and I was at home with our two eldest. They were eight and six at the time, 2004. And uh, we had an abundant supply of food in the freezer, um, enough food to make sure we weren't going to starve to death. Um, and so that was going to be fine. And I have a philosophy on food, and my philosophy is that if you take a meal out of the freezer, you need to make sure that you finish it. You don't start something else before you finish that meal because um, it might go to waste. And I don't like seeing food wasted. So my philosophy is once you pull a meal out of the freezer, you start that meal and you continue till you finish it. 
Well, this was a fairly large dish of shepherd's pie that came out on day one. And everything went well for day one. But we got to day four of shepherd's pie and there was an uprising in the house. <laughs> Can we have something else? I said, what's wrong with the shepherd's pie? It's beautiful food. Well, I don't think Kyla and Simon have ever touched shepherd's pie again <laughs> in the subsequent 20 years since that period of time. So as they say, variety is the spice of life. But we need to be thankful for what we have. The Israelites weren't happy with what God gave them. They always wanted something else, something more. And as a result, God's judgment and discipline came upon them. As it says in verse 21, Therefore the Lord heard this and was furious. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel. Verse 22 is probably a key verse in all of this. It says, Because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Because they did not believe in God and they did not trust in his salvation. They didn't believe that God had a best plan for them. A better plan than what they'd been through. He was leading them to something far greater. All they could see was the immediate, the temporary, and how tough things were going at the moment. They didn't have the big perspective. And as a result, many of them died in the desert because of their rebellious attitude towards God. The next few verses go on to explain how God gave them not only the manna, but he also provided quail for them as meat. And yet they still sinned. They got their variety, but yet they still sinned. Verse 32, in spite of this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wondrous works. Therefore their days he consumed in futility and their years in fear. Key verse there, instead of having purpose and peace in their life, they were living in futility and fear. When we exclude God from our lives, life is full of futility and it's full of fear. But he's the one that can give us purpose and peace within. And yet despite all this unfaithfulness and disobedience of the, of the people, God was faithful to his covenant with them as a nation. God didn't forsake them because he'd made a promise to Abraham that he would make of Abraham a great nation and that he would never forsake that nation. He would make them a great nation. He would make them to have a great land and have a great future. And it was through them that the Messiah would come. He wouldn't cast them off totally. He would always preserve a remnant. And he still demonstrated his love and his compassion for them. He turned his anger away on many occasions. He forgave them over and over and over again. We see the goodness of God in the way that he deals with them here. 
And notice what it says in verses 38 and 39. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and he did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. They didn't deserve God's compassion, didn't deserve God's forgiveness after provoking him and disobeying him so often. And yet God showed his love and mercy to them over and over and over again. And isn't that what he's done for us? How often have we sinned against God? How often have we turned to our own selfish ways? How often have we pursued our own lusts? And yet God in his grace continues to reach out to us. First for salvation, but then again and again when we come back to him. We come in repentance and confession. As 1 John 1, 9 reminds us, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is a forgiving God. And he's reached out to touch our lives with his grace and his mercy. The next bunch of verses from verses 40 through to the end of the chapter really just talk about some of what God did in Egypt before they got to the wilderness journey, how he brought the ten plagues on the Egyptians so that they would let the Israelites go. And then it talks about the promised land on the other end of that wilderness journey, how they conquered the enemies that were in that land and how God enabled them to uh, get that land as he had promised them. But these verses go on to explain something more of the same attitude that they only had before and sometimes worse regarding the fact that they produced their own gods they made them out of carvings and rocks and things like that instead of trusting in the living God. Verses 67. Well, that's the wrong verse, but we're 56 to 58 says, Yet they tested and provoked the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies but turned back and acted unfaithfully like their fathers, and they turned aside like a deceitful bow. They provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their carved images. So he was a God that was providing for them in multitudes of different ways, and yet what do they do? They start building their own little gods to worship instead of the living God who had provided so much for them. God provided for them to get out of Egypt, to get through the wilderness journey, to enter into the promised land, to have their own land and country, have their own areas to live. And yet all the time they failed him and provoked him to anger. So much so that he rejected Ephraim, the largest tribe, as his representative in the nation and chose Judah instead. That's a tribe through whom the Messiah would come and Jerusalem, a city in, Ju in Judah that would be for his habitation on which the temple was built 
as we see in verses 67. Moreover, he rejected the, tent, the tents of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like the heights and like the earth, which he has established forever. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, we read of that prophecy of the coming of the Messiah through Bethlehem. And we can find Micah, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has existed from everlasting and will be to everlasting. He came out of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And God chose Judah to be the one who would bring him into this world. And then he chose David as the unlikely king who, despite his failures, led them so well for many years because he listened to God and when he sinned against God he came back to God in repentance seeking forgiveness and he followed after God with a whole heart and God actually called him a man who was after God's own heart verse 70 to 72 he also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds from following the ewes that had young he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. And so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. It's a psalm talking about the goodness of God and the severity of God. It's a history lesson for us, a reminder of God's character, a reminder to keep trusting God and resting in him because... He loves us. And these psalms are written for our learning. God has made a commitment to you. In Christ, as believers, we have become part of the family of God. We belong to him. We are the recipients of his grace and love. And he wants to be actively involved in our lives. Not just to give us a ticket to eternity, but for us to enjoy him along this journey of life to allow him to guide and lead us through life there's a verse in John's gospel John chapter 14 and verse 23 which I find quite amazing it's Jesus speaking and he said if anyone loves me he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come to him, this is Jesus speaking, the Father and I will come to him and make our home with him. Come to that person who invites us in. And if you're a Christian this morning, you have God dwelling within you. Is God at home in your life? Is he in home in my life? 
Are there things in your life that would make him feel unwelcome? Thoughts and desires and passions, ingratitude, self-seeking. Well, the beauty of a relationship with him means that we can always come to him when we have sinned, when we have fallen from fellowship with him and with others. We can turn back, we can repent and enjoy his forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. As 1 John 1 7 says, that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. The joy of renewed fellowship. And so, what will you learn from this history lesson of God's dealings with Israel? Will you be more grateful for God's blessings? Do you have a greater desire to obey him and please him? There is so much that we can learn from God's dealings with Israel in the past. To take us on, for God to guide us and lead us on into the future in our own lives, having the promise of our eternal inheritance with him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this longish psalm which just gives a quite detailed history of what you did amongst the children of Israel as they left Egypt wandered through that desert as they kept failing you and disregarding you you still came back and turned them back to yourself and demonstrated your rich grace and mercy upon them thank you Lord for what you've done in that nation and what you continue to do amongst them. Thank you that Jesus Christ, our Messiah, has come through that nation. And Lord, we thank you for the salvation we have in him. Lord, teach us many lessons through these historical examples. May they be challenges on our journey of life to remember to continue to be faithful to you to trust you for whatever the future holds, knowing that you hold the future for us. We say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's